Welcome to episode eight in a series of podcasts of the women's IP world. Today, we have the distinct pleasure of talking with Dilek Zabel. She's the managing partner of Orvis IP and Law based in Turkey. Dilek, you're in Bursa, right? Yes, I'm in Bursa. It's the fourth biggest city in Turkey, maybe not known to everybody, but uh, it's a very big industrial city, just one hour sea bus to Istanbul. Which is such a beautiful city. I have been to Istanbul for for a conference many years ago when, you know, that was a thing. <laughs> yes, yes. Istanbul is very, uh, it's a metropole. It's a metropole and you can really find everything there. And uh, it's the city of uh, really uh, unlimited possibilities. Well, I look forward to talking more about Bursa, since less people, I think, are familiar with that city. But before we get there, I, I know the listeners, they certainly know by now that we have been traveling around the world virtually, talking to authors of the latest uh, Women's IP World Annual. And this is our first stop to Turkey. So we're honored to have you here. I am your host, Michelle Katz, and I am the co-founding partner of the law firm Edvitam IP which in Latin means intellectual property for life. And we are based out of the U.S. in Chicago. Me and my firm are hosting this podcast on behalf of Northens Media PR and Marketing Limited, based out of the U.K. in London. They are the publishers of the Women's IP World Annual and the Global IP Matrix Magazine. Dilek, you were, you were raised in Germany and... Uh, you were born there also, is that correct? Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in Turkey? Yeah, uh, good question. It's with a long answer. Yes, I've been born in Germany and I'm, I say also I'm a native German and native Turk, uh, Turkish uh, woman. Um, I've been born in Germany, I uh, go to school there, and I studied there as well. And after my study, I moved to Turkey. I attended a Catholic uh, school, primary school, and then a Jewish high school, and studied media studies and media law in the University of Siegen. This is very close to Cologne. And I was normally... Uh, a German, so my German is much better than my Turkish, but my Turkish is now also, of course, my native language. So I have two native languages, which are German and, and, and Turkish. I moved to Turkey directly after my studies. So, but I, of course, I worked in Germany and uh, my focus was firstly on media, science and media. And uh, But I made totally something totally different, which was intellectual property. <laughs> Well, there you've already indicated so much. Let's I, I want to go back a little bit to your childhood years in Germany. So yeah. are your parents are your parents both German? Uh, my, my parents are both Turkish, but my uh, father also has been born in Germany, too. And 
My mother moved from Turkey to Germany afterwards, after she married my father, but both are still living in Germany. I have also a brother in Germany, but I'm, I'm totally, I made my, I put my things together and say, uh, said to my parents after my studies, so I'm moving to Turkey, just see how the uh, business opportunities in Turkey are. This was just a, a, a very fast decision with, It has a background, but not that much deep than people may think. Well, in a way, you kind of returned home. I mean, your your parents were transplants, is what we call them here, when yeah. you're from somewhere else and you move to another place. Um, mm. And then you were raised in Germany because of that decision, right, to, to be living in Germany for work. And it's so interesting, you kind of covered all the bases, right? You know, you went to a Catholic school, then you went to, to a Jewish high school. Um, can you tell us a little bit of background on the, on those choices and what that was like for you? Hmm. Uh, the Catholic school was very interesting. Because there were really, uh, uh, the, the teachers educating were, um, uh, were really Catholic teachers as you and would then, expect <laughs> yes these were catholic teachers and uh there were really uh what's the name nuns and uh uh and uh really appear uh, uh, fathers who, who were educating the people this was a real strictly catholic school but i i'm a muslim and i was still a muslim there then mm -hmm. And uh, but of course, this was not a problem. It was not uh, said that uh, the students have to be Catholic too, but it was a Catholic school. So I was really, I'm totally familiar with uh, uh, religion. I'm familiar with churches, but, but I am Muslim. So this was, of course, something which really marked me in life because afterwards I visited a Jewish high school And this means I'm totally familiar with the Jewish people. And uh, today, when I see my uh, background, how did my background influence me? So, for example, I have a number of uh, uh, a number of clients who are Jewish, and when they say, "Okay, you visited a Jewish high school," it's something which shows that you're really multicultural, and I'm still multicultural. So I, I really do not feel like a native in Turkey or native in Germany. So Germany is also my home, like Turkey too. But I never experienced uh, to be between religions, between two cultures, between two country, countries. And this is something which really, the background which I have with the Catholic high school and Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish uh, high school, this, th this is something which really marked me for life. I never feel... Uh, Uh, as a foreigner in Turkey or in Germany or in another country because I experienced all religions and all cultures so deeply that I really say uh, this makes me successful in business too because I do not have any lines or preferations uh, or I can understand my uh, the people with whom I'm talking very good You really grew up with such a diverse background, yet being a minority yourself and being uh, learning about different cultures from a young age. It's it's really a, a unique perspective that you have, especially since, yeah, since our IP world is so diverse. 
for example, uh, in primary school, uh, we visited each week uh, the church, the Catholic, Catholic church. And the father said to me, Dilek, you are a Muslim and you do not have to pray if you not like. This is your choice because we cannot force you to pray in a church. And they asked my parents and said, okay, we are visiting a church. Do you wish that your kid will visit a church because we have, uh, we have respect uh, of your religion and maybe you do not wish to, 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 uh, uh, to visit a church and uh, do not wish to put your kid in a church. And my parents said, no, she has to, to experience this. So we do not have any objections and she can visit a church, she can pray with you together. And uh, sometimes I really uh, prayed in a church and sometimes I said, okay, so I'm a kid, so sometimes I said, oh, it's boring to pray. So I'm a Muslim, so I want to pray. <laughs> this was always an option for me. I'm today a Muslim. Of course, I'm not <laughs> living uh, the Muslim um, religion so much that I can say I'm a perfect Muslim. Uh, so I'm drinking alcohol <laughs> and these are things uh, which I do not have to do according to my religion. But I can say I am a Muslim, but I, uh, I am totally familiar with any other religions and I would never say to my kids, oh, you are Muslim now. Okay, they've been born in a Muslim family, but they do not have to proceed with it. And right. um, this is something which marked me for life, really. And also, for example, I remember today the father uh, asked my parents if I can visit a church and said, I, you can object this, sir, but we are visiting the church with the class. And my parents said, no, she can visit the church. And this was something I received uh, uh, always positive feedbacks from all sides and really had a, re a nice childhood. So I had always the choice. I, I had the possibility to choose. I had a number of options. And um, this marked me for life. And I think this made me to a person uh, who seems to be really nice at the moment or warm-hearted. And these are things uh, which I've experienced, which make, makes me to the people what I am at the moment. Well, I would certainly describe you with those adjectives since we met at a conference uh, many years ago. And, uh, you know, you made me laugh when you made the, the comment about, you know, um, alcohol, because, I mean, a cocktail is 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 a conference accessory, is it not? I mean, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the problem is they are not differing uh, uh, in <laughs> in our religion if it's just one glass or ten glasses right no under, understood i under you know definitely understand i grew up also uh in a minority in a in a, in a different um religious background from my own upbringing so i can totally relate oh, really? Really? yeah i actually can totally relate and we can talk more offline on that um as we do um mm. because i really want to focus on on you and yeah if you could let us know what made that uh high school famous Okay, um, the famous high school, because it's uh, named after a Jewish girl, she died in the Holocaust, and uh, the, this was a very, very big high school, I think it was 2,000, 3,000, 1,000 students in, the, in that area in which we lived uh, as I was a child, 
And um, this high school was totally uh, full with the history of the Jewish people who died in the Holocaust. And they had also uh, a museum inside in which you really uh, can go in and uh, read and see about things at the Holocaust because I I would not... uh, uh, um, detail all the things because it's quite known. Uh, the girl died, I think, uh, at 15 years. Uh, this was Betty Rice, and Betty Rice was the name of the school as well. And the school was very, very sensitive with uh, the Second World War and the things with what the Nazi Nazis di- did with the Jewish people and the Holocaust and everything. And for example, in the um, uh, history lessons was about the Jewish people and what they, what the Nazis did to them, and this made us, the students, quite sensitive against the uh, um, things which what uh, Jewish people had to experience there then, and um, this was a high school Jewish. Of course, the students are not always Jewish, but we had of course Jewish friends. And this made me also very uh, um, sensible against cultural things because I experienced religions and now in different culture and how the people were disadvantaged uh, during the Second World War. And uh, after the high school, I studied media studies with media law and culture studies. And this maybe animated me all the things which I experienced to study something which is uh, the um, cultural science between people. So your high school is essentially, I mean, it, it had a memorial component. It, it is, yes. Everywhere, everywhere. We always, we were totally aware of uh, all the things, bad things which the people had to experience. And there was also a memorial character and the name was directly a Jewish girl. And uh, we, we were really aware kids aware of the bad things in history. What an incredible background, Dilek, um, seriously. And then, uh, uh, you know, you went on to university, right, in Germany? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, when you took on, that's when you took on um, the media studies. What led you to that interest? Yeah, uh, it was always uh, a focus because I'm a quite positive and open-hearted hearted people and I'm talking, I like to talk. <laughs> and my, my aim was firstly to be a little bit on the media side and I really um, studied and practiced things uh, in the background of a broadcasting firm uh, and I also uh, worked for the VDR, which is the biggest broadcasting uh, um, uh, TV uh, in, in Germany and Europe. And I worked also there, but I was always focused on the law side. Is there? I, I, I recognized that I have interests in law, and it was media law at this time. And my plan was to enter some media law and a little bit culture. And uh, it was okay, but I, I also worked for the broadcasting uh, um, uh, firm. And uh, but after the study, uh, study, I 
So I said, okay, I, I would. It's not my dream to be a moderator or to be a star, and to it was always the low side. And this really animated me to move to Turkey and say, okay, I will start something different and something new, a totally new branch, but not that new because I was always animated to not lose law. And this was IP law at the end. <laughs> so law was always the string. It was that, I mean, even though you were studying media, yeah. law, law was the strong component of that. And then what, what was it, you know, what happened? What was going through your mind when you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised in Germany. Mm. My parents are Turkish, mm. but have raised me here. Why did you move to Turkey? And did you go to law school there? And then open up your practice? No, no, I, I did not study law directly in Germany, but it was uh, media science with a focus on media law. That means I'm not allowed in Germany to, to practice uh, law. Mm-hmm. But after my visit in uh, move to Turkey, I uh, passed the exam in Turkey. And that means I asked the government how I can pass the exam, which is very a hard exam for to be to, to become a Turkish patent and trademark attorney and it took me the second time because I did not study in Turkey so but it's uh, an obligation to study and my uh, my diploma from Germany was firstly not accepted in Turkey and I visited the uh, the ministry of education in Turkey and said hey I'm I have a diploma but from Germany and I passed an exam in Turkey to let my diploma accept because uh, this was the obligation. I see. So you didn't have to actually redo law school. You just had to study and and pass this exam for yes. your, your German diploma to be accepted. Ah, okay. Yes, okay. my German top diploma is now accepted in Turkey. And uh, so this means it was possible for me to enter the Turkish Patent and Trademark Office exam for to, to be a chartered trademark and patent attorney. And it works. Um, but it's a very, very hard exam at the moment. So uh, less people are passing it at the moment in Turkey. Uh, because uh, it's an exam which takes place every, each, every two years. And uh, it's very hard because there's no school which educates you to become a trademark and patent attorney. And it is enough to, to have a diploma from a university, a master degree or not. This is not uh, uh, separated. But it's, you, you, you can pass the exam if you are uh, really studying two years only for this exam or working in a firm and uh, researching it for yourself. And this was the second option for me. I entered an, another IP firm and worked for them for approximately six, six seven years. And uh, I became a trademark and patent attorney afterwards and uh, passed the exam of the government. And so I'm now a chartered, officially chartered uh, trademark and patent attorney in Turkey, not in Germany. And I would be remiss if I didn't congratulate you. I understand no. that you're celebrating 10 years of your firm. Yeah, so c- huge congratulations. That's a really big feat. And we're going to talk about your firm and your recently published article, Two Women, One Vision, mm-hmm. after we take a quick break. We have now started the candidate research process for the Women's IP World Annual 2022. 
The Women's IP World Annual is the industry's number one intellectual property law publication that celebrates the work and achievements of professional women working in IP, IP law, and innovation globally. We are very proud to provide a platform for women working in intellectual property and innovation by shining a spotlight on their expertise and professional knowledge in their respective fields of operation in IP through engaging thought leadership content. Our annual publication has caught the eye of many IP associations from all over the world. More importantly, it has attracted a cocktail of awe-inspiring, knowledgeable women who are happy to share their professional and personal experiences of working in the industry. Our unbiased approach welcomes large to boutique law firms and female industry professionals at all levels to join our network of remarkable women from all over the world. The famous American journalist and women's rights advocate, Miss Sarah Margaret Fuller Ossoli, once said, If you have knowledge, let others shine their candles in it, and we couldn't agree more. Contact us today if you would like to nominate a candidate to join the Women's IP World Annual 2022 or if you would like to personally share your knowledge, inspire and be inspired. You can contact us on plus 44 0203 813 0457 or email us at info at For more information and to check out the latest issue of the Women's IP World Annual, please go to www.womensipworld.com. The Women's IP World Annual, the industry's leading publication that celebrates the work and achievements of women working in IP, IP law, and innovation globally. The Women's IP World Annual 2022 is sponsored by Patent Seekers in the United Kingdom and Lexorbis in India. Welcome back. Uh, I am very interested, and I'm sure the listeners are too. Um, tell us about your firm. And we also, of course, want to hear when, when your article says two women, one vision, tell us about the other woman. The other woman is Eileen. Eileen is a person with whom I'm working since 16 years, since I am here in Turkey. She was uh, not my best friend. So I have to say we worked together with Eileen very, very successfully, always in the same team sometimes in different teams and also in my former IP firm in which I worked. And uh, Eileen is, of course, the we are like yin and yang, I say always, because she's the other part of uh, DLEC. <laughs> <laughs> and we adapted really so, so uh, good that uh, we I know how she thinks and she does the same, vice versa. And... Uh, Yes, Eileen is also one of the managing partners at Old Orbis, and we established uh, Orbis together with her and another law firm, which existed three, 30 years before Orbis. Uh, that's mean, that means Orbis is a fusion of a law firm, mm-hmm. and, oh, okay. uh, which adapted IP since 10 years. Uh, Eileen is one of the managing partners together with me, and we do have other partners too, which are coming from the law firm. And uh, yes, Eileen means for me uh, the part which I am not completing, maybe, because I'm a totally different person than Eileen, Eileen totally different than me. But if you put Eileen and Dilek together, (laughs) this makes a bombastic team. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I love it. And I love the yeah. reference to bombastic. Oh, that's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So the, no, no other words to de describe this relationship because we are now very good uh, as a friend, as friends, and uh, really a good team and leadership, I think. And is she, is she is she in Bursa too? Yes, she's in Bursa too. Yeah. Okay, because I my understanding is you have you have some other smaller offices, right, in Turkey? Uh, yes, we have a branch office in Istanbul, but it's very small. It's a little bit a stop for international clients, uh, where a, law, a lawyer is sitting with an assistant. But the biggest office is in Bursa because our headquarter was always in Bursa, also the establishment city. Uh, unfortunately, Bursa is not very known, but uh, it's a very big city with 4 million people. And uh, it's an industrial city. And this is why we never thought about uh, moving the headquarter to Istanbul, because Istanbul is very expensive. It's a very big city. And lawyers who are uh, visiting uh, court uh, proceedings do have to spend time uh, really in traffic for three or four hours sometimes per day. And this is a lot of uh, effort to be in Istanbul, and it was no necessary. Yeah, so we we see at the pandemic uh, uh, that we even can go home to work <laughs> instead of moving for this. <laughs> Certainly now, right? It doesn't really matter as long as you have a strong yeah. Wi-Fi connection. Yeah. I wonder if the comparison is kind of like the New York to Chicago. As you know, I'm in Chicago, and you know we can have more reasonable rates because the standard of living is not quite as high as <clears throat> the prices in New York. So our clients benefit from that. And it sounds to me like that that's similar where you can really offer competitive pricing um, because of where you live. Sure, sure. This is the same like uh, for German colleagues. Uh, when we asked before 10 years, uh, everybody asked the German, are you in Munich <laughs> near to the April? <laughs> Mm. And this is something uh, similar. So the I think IP is a branch in which it is not very really important where you live and where you work. And uh, Bursa is a very industry, a big industry has a big industry uh, city. That means we have we have four big industry areas here, and firms like Bosch and um, Fiat are here in Bursa, located in Bursa. And uh, this is why we are also strate strategically decided to stay here because uh, we, are, we have also local clients who are big and need our assistance. And the staff is actually also from Bursa, so it would be totally senseless to, to move to Istanbul. And Istanbul is a very heavy city to live. Personally, to be there is very hard and expensive. Well, it sounds like the two of you fighters, though, as it's described in your article, have really worked very hard to become one of the top five companies in the nation. Yes, it is. I have to point out top five accordingly to the patent applications in Turkey, because we have uh, monthly bulletins which are published by the Turkish Patent uh, and Trademark Office. And top five, of course, this is, of course, you have to point out something. Uh, who says that you are top five? Uh, the local office is publishing um, patent and trademark bulletins. Uh, the number of patent applications makes us to the top five, sometimes top ten. So you, we have to be strict in this matter. Uh, firms in Turkey, yes, we are assisting a number of clients uh, 
in Turkey in patent applications, but we are a full-service IP firm. That means we are doing law, we are doing IP uh, maintenance, we are uh, managing bigger portfolios, etc. Uh, so we are full-service IP firm, but the number of patent applications is uh, makes us to one of the top firms in Turkey. So top five. So congratulations on that. And we were talking uh, just prior to the podcast about how whether uh, COVID was had a negative impact on your business or a positive one, and it sounded like it was quite positive, even yes. though we don't get to see each other right now uh, because of the lack of in-person events. I have to say, COVID, of course, made us afraid at the beginning, uh, where the lockdown started in March 2020 in Turkey. Uh, it makes us afraid because you are afraid to listen clients or to make conferences are very important for us. And suddenly all conferences were cancelled. And this, of course, made us afraid, but it was quite the opposite. So we... Uh, uh, made new contacts we uh, uh, have now new clients and it is like um, in the pandemic influences I think zero it was quite the opposite opposite and Orbis uh, has grown for really 70 percent as a um, uh, turnover and uh, we uh, have new people in our team some people really did not sell their places because we, we educated them, them from far and from home office, and this really worked. And I have to say uh, that the pandemic uh, situation and the COVID uh, regulations and lockdowns did not influence us, and we really grew in this, uh, during this um, uh, time. I have to point out that we, we uh, recognized that we weren't... Uh, uh, on the, on the right way, because we worked, uh, you know, Orbis is 10 years old. This has uh, some advantages to be, a, to be a relatively young firm because we used digital, digital archive uh, since the beginning on, since 2011. And uh, this means for us that it was no problem to work at home because we had a digital archive. We are working with the software and... We always had a server in our office and an external server outside in order to double safe every everything and all, each data. And uh, the pandemic regulations did not influence us and it was nearly zero. And we uh, recognized that Orbis was always ready for the situation. Uh, of course, um, the advantages to be a little relatively young firm. We used digital things since from the beginning on and used the situation uh, the last two years to optimize everything more from which we thought, okay, this can be more digital. This can be more automatically. Uh, in order to be fast, we have to, we have to change some things in our software and integrate some other services, etc. I think... To work at home helped us uh, to work a little bit more on the digital side. And uh, we, I think we effectively used this um, uh, time uh, to optimize really the digitalization of Orbis. But really, you were already pandemic proof because you had the technology in place, even if you weren't using it quite as 
as you thought you would. I mean, yeah. you weren't predicting it. It just was it, it, at the time you created your firm, there was no point in having paper files and being locked to the, you know, chained to your desk and in, in some office. You yeah. had that flexibility. And I mean, you're and you're also a young mom. Um, I, am. I, I know you have uh, two and a half year old twins. Yes. Who, if you think about the time period now, means that, you know, they've had a couple birthdays already yeah. during the, the, their only couple birthdays um, yeah. during COVID. Yeah. Uh, yes, I have twins of two and a half. Uh, half. It's a boy and a girl uh, called Alice and Jaman. And I have a son of 12 too. He's also in his blues at the moment. But the twins, of course, both birthdays were in the lockdown <laughs> because they were not one uh, as the lockdown came in Turkey. And we had a birthday in March. And now the second birthday, and hope, I hope the third birthday will be not under lockdown. Uh, but of course, they are lucky twins but because mom were at home at the moment mm -hmm. uh, all the time because no conferences and mom is always <laughs> surrounding them. And um, yes, uh, I also, of course, it was positively for the kids to not uh, travel so lot because, you know, we are traveling a lot. <laughs> the, they miss the us. When we're, they actually do miss us when we're gone. As, sure, it turns, sure. as it turns out, even your 12-year-old, Because I have a 12-year-old, too. Really yes, miss you I know, when you were gone. I know. Yeah, they miss you. And the kids now are quite uh, lucky to have mom at home. But, uh, of course, I hope conferences <laughs> will open uh, very soon. <laughs> and I, I promised myself that I will be never exhausted during a conference. <laughs> I will That's do right. it really with, uh, with uh, positive feelings and with elan. <laughs> oh, understood. Understood. So let's talk about the vision of your firm, uh, you know, your article, Two Women, One Vision, which, by the way, is on page uh, 36 and 37 of the of the magazine, which um, is also available uh, not only in hard copy, but digitally, just yeah. so everybody's aware of that. Um, and the, the, page, the pages, the pagination is all the same, and it looks very much like the hard copy. It's really a beautiful piece. So tell us about that vision. I think uh, I, I, I also read an article last week about the new leadership. I think uh, the, times in, the times are different, and the, uh, the responsibilities of a team leader of a leader of a firm of a CEO are totally different at the moment uh, the new generation of uh, younger people who are working not in IP it's, this is a general thing which I am uh, talking about are a little bit different than we are Michelle uh, our vision was as uh, a staff in, in a firm uh, to work in a firm for years for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 years, maybe. But the new generation uh, is really different. They are uh, changing uh, positions very fast, changing firms very fast. And I think together with this, uh, um, with this situation, the type of leadership has to be changed. It has to be really redefined, maybe. This is the correct wording. I think the vision of Orbis is 
to be always a flexible firm, to be an open firm. Uh, I, we also wrote in the article that we moved our office to another uh, new location within the city. And we ha do have an open office at the moment. And this was also a planned thing because to have walls in between is not necessary because uh, we are doing a type of law which is different than uh, criminal law, etc. And we said, okay, IP needs interaction. Teams do need a different leadership. The leader has to be a part of the team and not outside. And this is why we do not have one single wall in our office. I think the vision of all this is to be a dynamic team, uh, but the dynamic team is not very easy to create. You have to put the walls away between your team and yourself and the leaders and the group leaders, the project leaders. And I can say this really works very good because the project leaders, the department leaders, uh, me and Eileen as the leader of Orbis and the managing part partners really put the walls away and everything is transparent. Uh, the flow of information concerning cases, situations is so fast and so effective that it is, it is our vision to be uh, a very dynamic and young team who makes decisions very fast. Uh, optimizations very fast and um, really focuses on the needs. For example, we have to be uh, a little bit automatic, for example, to send a registration certificate to a client is a very simple thing. So let us automate, automatize this part and focus on the main things. I think this is our vision to be an office who focuses on the main things by uh, using digital advantages of a software, of an automatic messaging, notification, for uh, reporting a simple trademark publication to the client has to be a, a primary thing, uh, a secondary thing. And primary has to be the client care and the close contact. I think the vision is to be dynamic in the future in all areas, leadership and managing portfolios, to be a leader and uh, the pandemic, the COVID pandemic shows, showed us that we have to do be so because firms who are very old or who are a little bit slower or not interested in, the, in these things are now a secondary option for clients. So I have to say there are of course positive things which we uh, put from the pandemic uh, situation now and which will, of course, uh, um, create the future of all this and the future of IP. This is, I think, valid for a number of firms around the world. And it's beautiful. Your office is, is really beautifully described in your article. Uh, and I have a particular vision in my mind based on how it's described. And I hope, I hope to see it one day. It sounds like... Um, you know, you've you've removed barriers in your workspace, which translates into removing barriers between your staff and between you and your clients. So, um, but maybe we mask up here and there, right? Just in case, <laughs> in light of the pandemic situation. Um, yeah. I wanted to um, touch a little bit. Um, you, you talk in your article 
it says something to the effect that women, um, you know, from your purview don't have major disadvantages, but you do note that women um, have to work harder and prove themselves. So I wanted to get a sense from your personal experience. How do you reconcile those two, that, that dichotomy? Yes, uh, I think in general, IP is uh, a branch uh, which is quite welcoming woman. But of course, when I see some local uh, groups, okay, for example, for the uh, German local conference, you see that the difference of the woman and man is quite high because the number of men attending this local conference is quite high. Uh, higher than the woman, uh, the number of women. Uh, but I think, um, of course, women, for, it's, it's always hard for women to be a part of a thing. Uh, for example, I have three kids and I'm still working, uh, but in between I have to skip for six months after the uh, birth of the twins. And women have a number of responsibilities at home and in business. But if you, uh, if you um, cross a line, which is the line to working really hard until the morning hours, which was the case with Eileen, because uh, we, we had a team of Eileen, me and two more people who worked really hard until the morning hours, the first, I think the first three years, this was a situation which I may not uh, practice now. Because uh, it would be hard. Of course, I have three kids now and it's not possible to work until the morning hours. But, uh, because if, you, if I have to do, so I would do this, but not really continuously. But after these three years, there was a line in which we had the decision, okay, we worked hard and this works now. And now is the time for managing all the tasks for splitting a task to another, to, to transfer a task to another, and to focus again on the main thing, which is the management of a portfolio, the system uh, creation, the creation of processes, the standardization of, uh, of, um, of uh, things in IP within the office. And women do have it really hard because the men do not believe in you firstly, they say, okay, so you, you, you do not need to work, maybe something. And man, there are so many professors and doctors uh, who are highly qualified and you have to, uh, to, to, to show you, but more than man, to show that you have a great education, that you can also work until the morning hours like a man. And uh, this is why I said, okay, IP is a sector in, which is welcoming women, but of course, uh, women still have it much more harder than men. It is interesting, and I feel like it goes across indus industries. I am very involved in a national women's business organization here uh, in the United States, and mm. it, it, it is a repeated subject that I feel transcends industry and country, no matter where you're from, that women have to continuously prove themselves, whereas on the male side, it's assumed. There's yeah. already a presumption of credibility, yeah. but for some reason, for us, 
we have to keep on proving ourselves time and time again as if our resume doesn't speak for itself. Uh, so I, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. I empathize <laughs> with yeah. you. Uh, yeah. And maybe, maybe things will change, but at least to date, um, I, I, I feel like we still have a ways to go in that, in that realm. Yeah, uh, just just do not us uh, think so complicated. Think it simple. When men do have an appoint a meeting with a client, they just have to wear their suite, have to be clean, and well, the hair style is also not very complicated. But in case a woman has a meeting, you have to take care which earring you are wearing, which uh, uh, which shoes you are wearing. You do not have to be show. Unserious, but to be extremely serious can make you a little bit distance to the client. So women have it even hard while dressing themselves. That's right. <laughs> this That's is really right. this is really enough because uh, you say, okay, I like these earrings, but not with a client meeting uh, during a client meeting. So you do you do uh, have it much more harder than a man who just wears a sweet uh, just a sweet. And uh, really, women uh, cannot wear everything when they meet the client. Is it, I, I, am I am I uh, wrong? No, you're absolutely. I'm laughing on my end. I, I'm smiling ear to ear because it's absolutely yeah. true. The, getting up in the morning, I even know it's yeah. it's true. When you know when I when I mentioned it to my husband, oh, I've got this, you know this client meeting and I'm going to have to get up an hour earlier than usual just to get ready yeah, for it. <laughs> not, not only this, you have to, you have to take care if you, uh, mm -hmm. if you maybe look like a supermodel, this is also not uh, a welcome. Correct. <laughs> it's yeah. too much. Yeah. You can't, look too too, much. you can't look too beautiful either. Yeah. Right? It's so. not, you cannot look too beautiful. <laughs> you cannot look uh, too bad and you have to really consider each detail. But this is not depending on the problems of the woman by uh, selecting uh, uh, dresses. This is the problem uh, of, uh, of the business in women because the uh, um, responsibilities, the expectations from a woman in business are totally clear and the expectations are coming from men, <laughs> most probably, because your hair should be nice but not that nice that you look like a supermodel. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough, yes, it, yes. We walk the line. Yeah. We're always walking the line on, on it. And, and you have to gauge your audience before you walk in. Whereas I understand what you're saying, where a man puts on a suit and that's, um, the, the, that's there's, not a lot, there's not a lot of leeway in suits, right? Um, so, yes, I, <laughs> I completely understand. If, if a man understand. looks like a supermodel... It would be welcome. Yes. Am yes. I wrong? No, no, no. You haven't been wrong about one thing yet, Delek. So we're not going to start now. I wanted to thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, to our listeners, please like, follow, share with your friends, but also feel free to send comments and questions. The art. This is such a great article. Um, Uh, the the two women, one vision, they talk about what is key to their formula and they've really had a lot of success. I highly recommend a read. And until we connect again in person, please take good care. 
Thank you so much. And thank you, Dilek. Thank you for inviting. It was really a pleasure. And uh, thank you for all your preparations and for your invitation. And I think I also would like to thank Carlos uh, for his uh, publications. And we enjoy reading really each article. It's really helped us connect, especially through this pandemic. So yes, thank Absolutely. you to thank you to Carlos. Thank you you for for being a part of it. And I hope we get to uh, see each other real soon. Take care. Thank you. Women's You have been listening to the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, hosted by Michelle Katz from Advitum IP in Chicago, on behalf of Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited.